0: Welcome to First Formation, spiritual exercise for Christian soldiers looking to get up and pray. Join Pew Pew HQ every weekday morning to hear the good news through grunts and with grunts in the unity of the Holy Spirit as one church forever and ever. Fall in. Psalm 79 O God, the nations have come into your inheritance. They have defiled your holy temple. They have laid Jerusalem in ruins. They have given the bodies of your servants to the birds of the air for food, the flesh of your faithful to the wild animals of the earth. They have poured out their blood like water all around Jerusalem, and there was no one to bury them. We've become a taunt to our neighbors, mocked and derided by those around us. How long, O Lord, will you be angry forever? Will your jealous wrath burn like fire pour out your anger on the nations that do not know you and on the kingdoms that do not call on your name for they have devoured jacob and laid waste his habitation do not remember against us the iniquities of our ancestors let your compassion come speedily to meet us for we are brought very low help us o god of our salvation for the glory of your name deliver us and forgive our sins for your name's sake Why should the nations say, where is their God? Let the avenging of the outpoured blood of your servants be known among the nations before our eyes. Let the groans of the prisoners come before you. According to your great power, preserve those doomed to die. Return sevenfold into the bosom of our neighbors, the taunts with which they taunted you, O Lord. Then we, your people, the flock of your pasture, will give thanks to you forever. From generation to generation we will recount your praise. Micah chapter 4, verses 6 through 13. On that day, says the Lord, I will assemble the lame, and gather those who have been driven away, and those whom I have afflicted. The lame I will make the remnant, and those who are cast off a strong nation. And the Lord will reign over them in Mount Zion now and forevermore. And you, O Tower of the Flock, Hill of Daughter Zion, to you it shall come, the former dominion shall come, the sovereignty of Daughter Jerusalem. Now why do you cry aloud? Is there no king in you? Has your counselor perished that pangs have seized you like a woman in labor? Writhe and groan, O Daughter Zion, like a woman in labor. For now you shall go forth from the city and camp in the open country. You shall go to Babylon, where there you shall be rescued. There the Lord will redeem you from the hands of your enemies. Now many nations are assembled against you, saying, Let her be profaned, and let our eyes gaze upon Zion. But they did not know the thoughts of the Lord. They did not understand his plan, that he has gathered them as sheaves to the threshing floor. Arise and thresh, O daughter Zion, for I will make your horn iron, and your hoofs bronze. You shall beat in pieces many peoples, and shall devote their their gain to the Lord, their wealth to the Lord of the whole earth. Revelation chapter 18, Verses 1-10 through After this I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was made bright with his splendor. He called out with a mighty voice, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. It has become a dwelling place of demons, a haunt of every foul spirit, a haunt of every foul bird, a haunt of every foul and hateful beast. For all the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. And the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her and the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxury then i heard another voice from heaven saying come out of her my people so that you do not take part in her sins and so that you do not share in her plagues for her sins are are heaped high as heaven and god has remembered her iniquities render to her as she herself has rendered and repay her double for her deeds mix a double draft for her in the cup she mixed As she glorified herself and lived luxuriously, so give her like a measure of torment and grief. Since in her heart she says, I rule as a queen, I am no widow, and I will never see grief. Therefore her plagues will come on a single day, pestilence and mourning and famine, and she will be burned with fire. For mighty is the Lord God who judges her. And the kings of the earth who committed fornication and lived in luxury with her will weep and wail over her when they see the smoke of her burning. They will stand far off in fear of her torment and say, Alas, alas, the great city, Babylon, the mighty city, for in one hour your judgment has come. Good morning and welcome to the sixth day of Advent. This is Brother Logan Isaac broadcasting from Albany, Oregon. This morning's readings come to us from Psalm 79, again, Micah 4 and Revelation 18. Uh, If you're paying close attention to the readings, uh, we're going chronologically with Micah and Revelation. We just read some earlier passages yesterday, and that is uh, kind of the standard before Pentecost and Pentecost, or after Pentecost, uh, ordinary time following Pentecost, the longest liturgical season, we'll have two options. One is complementary readings, which I follow, or the other is chronological readings, or semi-chronological, canonical, I guess. Um, and I like the complementary readings because it suggests there's some unifying theme. But outside ordinary time following Pentecost, we read relatively canonical stuff. So if it seems uh, as I kind of thought for a moment that we're repeating the same readings, it's actually not the case, especially within a week, a liturgical week, which runs from uh, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, those, that time frame will often have very similar readings. Uh, yesterday I spoke a little bit about Micah and some of the nuance there in the Um, Beating swords to plowshares thing that it shares with Isaiah, and how we seem to have left off part of it. Um, And today, the Revelation reading, um, I'm really interested in political theology, you know, what the Bible imagined the system should be, uh, the biblically ordained system of governance should be. Um, And you learn very quickly, I think I mentioned this yesterday, that the The instinct or the desire for monarchical rule is something that humans want that God never intended. The most uh, the most m- memorable element in the Bible is First Samuel eight, where it's explicit uh, that the people reject God and they want to be all like all the other nations. And the the difficulty or the problem of that is is compounded by the fact that the Gentiles, the Goyim. Literally, the nations. Um, if you are not the Goyim, you are not like the other nations. You're literally the non-nationed people. And Israel had a very unique political structure in in its I- idyllic, um, uh, you know, kind of idealized past. And some of it is likely to be true. Much of it is probably true. Um, but it it when it was recorded. And put down to paper was when they were in the unified kingdom. Um, so the and that political system was um, headed by judges, shofat, um, and these judges were non hereditary. Uh, they were charismatic leaders like Gideon. Samuel was uh, is considered the last judge because. You know, the people rejected God and wanted a king, and they were warned what kings would do. And this word, melech, in the Bible is also uh, a suffix. So like abimelech, as I talked about yesterday, um, it's the word king is in his name. And abi means uh, son of, or or, I'm sorry, father of. And so this bad character, this um, kind of bad actor, his name literally means "Father of Kings." It's like you can't really couch it in any more obvious terms. And I mention this in Revelation because, on the one hand, uh, the narrative story—the story of Israel—in so far as we can trace it historically—seems not only to have begun with Judges, but as I mentioned earlier or yesterday. The first judge, the oldest part of the Hebrew Bible we have, mentions a female judge, Deborah, a woman of Lapidot. Um, a woman, a fiery woman or a woman of torches is literally the translation. She has no dude that she's attached to, no man that she's attached to. But uh, scholars have still taken this, this name and title, Deborah Issa Lapidot. And said, "Oh, Isa, which means woman. It also means wife, and it can. It, uh, I'm not doubting that. Um, but the assumption is that Isa here means wife, and it it doesn't necessarily mean wife. It it literally means woman, and Lapidot is literally the plural form of a torch, the same thing that Gideon uses in some of his campaigns. Um, and so this first, you know, ruler." Judge of Israel, the earliest that we can trace is a woman, which is odd because a lot of ancient and modern societies tend to favor male uh, kings or or rulers. So not only does um, Israel have female, unattached sovereign rulers, um, and I say that in not necessarily the monarchical sense, but if you've read uh, my work on on political theology you 'll know that um, ruler has two, two meanings right? We think of a ruler as one who wears a crown, but it 's really just it rules things, it measures things. it helps establish a standard by which the rest of us can uh, you know define and understand and structure things. But anyway, I mention all this. you know the the oldest historically reliable ruler of Israel is a woman. Uh, there's also uh, a sovereign queen, uh, Queen uh queen Athalia, who uh, is the daughter of Ahab and Jezebel, uh, the, of the northern tribes, but who married into the uh, kingdom of the southern tribes. And in the process of doing so, she ruled on her own for, I want to say, five or six years. But she was another bad actor, like Abimelech. She kills her family to get power, um, and she is then overthrown later um uh so it's not that women that, that you know that men are doing it wrong, and so women are should be the rulers it's that women have always held positions of power um and that they can be as corrupt as men, but they can also be as reliable and trustworthy as men um and I talk about this a little bit in uh chapter of God is a grunt and more good news for g i s where I talk about Joan of Arc and gender and command, uh, and that's where I, I talk about Deborah as well. Um, but the the problem or the the unfortunate thing in Revelation is that the Hebrew Bible has these you know these breadcrumbs right, like Deborah, to remind us that it's you know rulership should not be dependent upon gender, uh, even if you know human institutions make it that way. Um, And God is frequently undermining these human institutions like primogeniture, the practice of giving all of the inheritance to the eldest male son or the eldest male child. Um, God is undoing that, not only with gender, but also with the ordering of who gets what, right? David was the youngest son. Uh, Jacob was the youngest son. Um, Abel and Seth were the youngest sons. Um, and so God is also undoing this gender stuff. He's undoing the political uh, theology stuff, but we still have these human writers. And as I read Revelation, um, I noticed that the 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 figure of Babylon. It's a word I prefer not to use. Fornicator is this technical term, um, but the the woman of Babylon, the representation of Babylon. Uh, takes herself to be a ruler in verse seven I rule as queen I am no widow and I will never see grief the epitome of an unattached woman which is an affront to the ancient male psyche right that women may not need um, men to get by uh, but in the in the in that affront in the ancient mindset uh, we have and we do kind of take our like offense and bias and paint it with immorality. So if we don't know much about soldiers or soldiering, we just assume that all soldiers kill. We don't know or understand much about you know the feminine mind or whatever, and so it must be bad. It must be dangerous and hysterical. It must need to be controlled because, don't you know, men can control their passions? I'm being facetious, of course. Um, and so it's this unfortunate thing that in Revelation we see this outgrowth of Human bias—that you know these kings are certainly a problem—but the epitome of evil in the biblical or the the New Testament imagination, or we could say Johannine imagination—that um, this figure of evil must also be a woman, because uh, I think the Bible fairly uniformly criticizes unchecked power, um, and so it's not that. You know, there's already this anti-monarchical, anti-authoritarian streak in the Bible, but then to also cast gender on that burning pile of shit as well, um, or women specifically, also seems like it's a problem. And I'm sure that these texts have been used to diminish the role of women in church, to diminish the role of anybody and anything that we don't think that we can control. Um, That's really unfortunate. Um, but the plight of all marginalized people, women, soldiers, and veterans, people of color, um, there is hope in, right in the same texts that, um, that can be so difficult and so marginalizing. Um, you know, the, the rejection of kings is a hope in God, but the rejection of, of women is also the rejection of you know, half of all creation or half of all the human creatures on earth. Um, And so I find it difficult, but also very, I don't know, mundane or human. Like if we, we both want to seem to want to emphasize our humanity and say, woe is us. We screwed up, but also like we can do it on our own. And so that the, there are these two sides of the coin of like, what do we do with our fears? But, give them to God, um, and then also in the process sometimes reinscribe those same fears um, and cut ourselves off from God by losing sight of uh, the goodness in which and for which God made our world. Um, so I know that's kind of all over the place. I hope that it makes sense to, <laughs> to enough of you, um, but don't take the you know things as literally as they sometimes are depicted um that it you know sometimes humans inspired divinely inspired humans make choices that don't reflect that divine inspiration and it's difficult but we always i think must keep that that inspiration in mind and in our hearts um and to try and keep from falling into these same old patterns the same old biases that, um, that God is and has been trying to undo since the, you know, the, the birth, the origins of, of humanity. And um, I hope that we can, uh, it, it's hard, but we have to hold both uh, at one time, our own brokenness as well as uh, our, our goodness at the same time. A prayer for the whole human family adapted from the Book of Common Prayer. O God, you made us in your image and redeemed us through Jesus, your Son. Look with compassion on the whole human family. Take away the arrogance and hatred which infect our hearts. Break down the walls that separate us. Unite us in bonds of love and work through our struggle and confusion to accomplish your purposes on earth, that in your good time, all cultures and genders may serve you in harmony around your heavenly throne. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Thank you for falling into First Formation, where Pew Pew HQ shares morning prayers for the humble, hardy folk caught in the crosshairs of God and country. If you like what you've heard, you can participate in one of the three following ways. First, you can support the podcast by clicking the link in the show notes, or, if you serve military families, subscribe to First Forward, a paid subscription feed providing commentary on Sunday lectionary texts a week in advance. Use it for sermon prep or just because you support the troops. Second, you can become a co-host by recording a lectionary reading for a future episode. Instruction will be provided, and you don't have to be a grunt to collaborate with PewPewHQ in this or any way. Finally, you can also record and send prayer requests of a minute or less. Prayers can be included in an episode, read anonymously if you wish, or kept private for me to pray for off of air. So there you have it. Three ways to participate in First Formation. I hope you'll continue to listen even if I haven't convinced you to fall in. This has been Brother Logan Isaac. Always faithful, always family. Semper Familia.